You also show Rachel some appreciation. She uh, <laughs> keeps us well informed. She's the, the queen behind all things social media around here. So if you appreciate those posts, that's the face behind it. Well, today we uh, at camp all summer long, both middle school camp and high school camp, we talked about this big idea that God has a best for your life. And we say that a lot. We really want that to, to sink into the heads and hearts of the next generation, especially, but it's true for us as well, that God has a best for us. And our goal is to discover and then live that best out. And so the theme, as you saw, was the good life. And so we talked about relationships and we talked about peace and we talked about all of those pieces of that. And so today I thought sort of as a way of tying a bow to that, I would talk about something that honestly robs us of the good life. That there's something that if we don't deal with it, if there's something that if we don't learn to face it or to navigate it, it will literally rip apart everything that's good. It'll rip apart everything that's right. It'll have the ability to undermine that good life, the life that God designed us to live. And really, this isn't a popular topic to talk about on Sunday morning. Nobody's going to be like, man, that was awesome. We had empanadas, then Bobby talked about this. But it's super helpful, hopefully practical, and it's this tension of temptation, tension of temptation. And what's funny about this is I, didn't, I wish I had planned it this way. I didn't plan it this way. I, I, I sensed this was where we were going to be a couple weeks ago. What I didn't know was the day before me teaching about temptation was going to be the day that I was tempted with a 10-pound burrito. <laughs> so I don't feel qualified to teach on this today. And so when I'm teaching, I'm going to be taking notes myself because literally if we're friends on uh, Facebook, you, you saw me post a picture of a burrito yesterday that was bigger than my face. What was not in the picture was I also had street corn with it, and then I also had Oreos and ice cream, and then I went by Sonic to top off the day. So if there was a time for temptation, and then we show up and they're serving empanadas outside, I'm like, holy moly, I needed this sermon last week. It's too late now, you know what I'm saying? So as I'm teaching today, uh, my hope is that this would be truly practical because if I know anything about you, if your life is like mine, uh, temptation is not just something to talk to our teenagers about or our kids about. It's something that we face every single day. And I'm telling you, the enemy would love to use temptation to cause us to miss God's very best. Let me give you a definition. If you're a note taker or if you want to follow along in the app or take pictures of the screen, let me give you a definition of temptation. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obeying God. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obeying God. In other words, it's a shortcut. In other words, it's a cheat way. In other words, like to use the metaphor from camp to talk about the good life, well, God has a way for us to experience peace, or God has a way for us to experience rich relationships, or God has a way for us to experience joy in our life. But if we're not careful, temptation will say, well, you can do it faster on your own, or you could do it a different way, or you could step out. So temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obeying God. There's a couple of myths that I want to sort of dispel as we dive into this when it comes to temptation. Whenever you mention temptation, something comes to mind for all of us. For some of us, it is the burrito. You are at a Mexican restaurant because all things are better with queso on top. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I believe there's going to be queso in heaven. I, 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 really, I believe that so firmly today, so I want to pass that along to you. Uh, so some of you think about food. Some of you think about impulse 
spending. Like it was Amazon Prime Day this week. I see some people elbowing the people next to you. Uh, you, how, how many of you have ever had a moment where you're bored, so you just opened the Amazon app, and before you know it, you saw, hey, if you buy this in three hours, it'll be here tomorrow. And you're like, I need that random thing, right? That's, right? So some of you think about spending. Obviously, in the passage we're going to be in today, it's uh, in Genesis chapter 39, the temptation is sexual. And so that's certainly uh, a form of temptation. It, it's that physical, trying to, uh, to feel connected or to have some need met outside of God's plan. So there's multiple versions of temptation. So I don't know what temptation is coming your way or maybe is in your life right now, but these are myths that come with it. And then I want to give you some handles around it. Myth number one is that temptation is a sin. Myth number one is temptation is a sin. The truth is, is the actual temptation is neutral. It's what we do with it that determines if it's actual a sin or not. So to be tempted in itself isn't necessarily a sin. The second myth is basically this one and done kind of mentality. It's the idea that if I've dealt with any area of temptation before, then I'll never be tempted there again. And the truth is, yeah, it's just not going to happen because uh, I'll, I'll use my burrito example this morning. I guarantee you there's going to be another Saturday that I feel like I just need a 10 pound burrito, right? It, so it's not a one and done kind of thing. Uh, myth number three is that people that are spiritually mature will never face temptation. People that are spiritually mature will never face temptation. The truth is, anybody that has ever said, oh, I'll never go there, I'll never do that thing, those are usually the people, isn't that true? Those are usually the people that it ends up sneaking up on, sneaking up on. Let me give you another myth. Myth number four, and these are on the screen if you want to just take a picture of them with some verses that are helpful, but myth number four is that God is disappointed in me when I'm tempted. God's disappointed in me when I'm tempted. Uh, God's not disappointed in the moment of temptation because temptation happens to all of us. Jesus himself was tempted, yet he didn't sin. So the temptation itself is not disappointing. Uh, temptation isn't for broken people. It's for breathing people. It happens to every single person, no matter what age or stage. And then myth number five is this, that when I'm tempted, I have to give in. Well, the truth is you don't have to give in. I don't have to give in. That's just a myth. Sometimes we act like we have no choice. We act like uh, the choice has already been made. We have to give in. The truth is we don't have to give in. These are all myths. And so I want to show you one person in Scripture. There's a lot of examples of this. There's some positive examples. And honestly, in Scripture, there's more negative examples of men and women that could have chosen differently but didn't. But today, I want to show you a positive example, and it comes from the life of Joseph. Uh, for several summers here at Sugar Hill, I've taught different pieces of Joseph's life, and I've done that intentionally. One of the big themes in my own life is that today matters, and your story matters, and choices we make matter. And I just love Joseph's life so much because he's a person that didn't have, a, didn't have great circumstances. And I like that because a lot of times people think, well, if my circumstances were better, then it would be easier. Well, Joseph, if you know his story, when he was a teenager, his brothers hated him. And so they came up with this great idea, let's kill him. Awesome. Not awesome. And they decided, no, we're not going to kill him. Instead, we'll throw him literally in a well, in a pit, and leave him. And then when he's in the pit, they 
come up with this idea, well, actually, we could sell them into slavery because these uh, slave traders were coming by. So they sell him into slavery. And then he ends up in Egypt, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home, and he gets bought by a guy named Potiphar, who was this powerful dude. And then he's serving in Potiphar's house, and maybe it felt like things were normalizing a bit. He was still a slave, but he was prosperous in what he was doing. And then Potiphar's wife, we don't know her name in Scripture, so I just call her Mrs. Potiphar because I'm creative like that, and I went to seminary. Uh, Mrs. Potiphar uh, wants to sleep with him, and, 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 and Joseph refuses. And so he finds himself falsely accused of trying to rape her. He finds himself thrown into jail. He finds himself, well, honestly, forgotten. And yet in those moments, even though circumstances weren't ideal, even though circumstances were really difficult, he learned how to navigate temptation in a powerful way. So I want to take one aspect of his life. And again, there's plenty of negative examples of this in Scripture. That's one of the reasons why I love Scripture and know that it's true is because uh, it includes the not-so-good stuff that believers do as well and doesn't try to, to, to just uh, explain it away. But in Joseph's life, we see sort of what I, what I would consider four ways of us dealing with the tension of temptation. So if you're a note taker, I would invite you to write these down or type them into a note so that you have them accessible to you. And if you want them, they're in the app as well. But number one, as we think about this idea of dealing with the tension of temptation, number one, we must anticipate the timing of it. The timing of temptation. I think one of the reasons why we get caught off guard when it comes to temptation, one of the reasons why we give in to temptation when we take the bait of temptation is because we drop our guards. What I mean by that is there comes moments, there's some days that we live intentionally, aren't there? There's some days we feel dialed in spiritually. There's some days we're pulling up the Bible app every day or we're listening to the podcast or whatever. There's days that it feels like we're on guard, we're ready, we're leaning in. And then honestly, there's days we drop our guard and we just go through the routine. And it's usually in those moments that if we're not careful, temptation will sneak up on us. But look at what happens in the life of Joseph. Listen to some of these descriptions in Genesis 39. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. But look at verse 2. Listen to the way it describes Joseph's position. It says in verse 2, but the Lord was with Joseph. And that's a great reminder for us, even in dark moments, it doesn't mean just because God is silent that he's absent. God's still with him. But listen to verse 2. So he succeeded in everything he did. Look down at verse 3. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with him, giving him success. Look at the end of verse 4. He put him in charge of his entire household. Verse 5 the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household. In other words, the timing of Joseph's temptation wasn't when everything was going wrong. It was when everything was going right. The moment of this specific temptation, he was experiencing success. He was having victories. God was blessing him, and he was blessing Potiphar's house. The moment of temptation wasn't when Joseph was out doing his own thing. It was in the middle of promotion, in the middle of the blessing of God. That's when it showed up. 
And so for us to anticipate that, that oftentimes temptation is going to come either in the midst of promotion or right before it. And we're tempted just to drop our guard and say, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm just sort of coasting along. And I'm telling you, when we begin to coast, the enemy takes notice. The enemy takes notice. And so I'll use camp as an example. I'm a firm believer in student camps. I'm a product. I, I, I could tell you stories when I was in middle school and high school. There's specific things God spoke into my heart at camp that I still think about today. But one of the hardest moments of camp is when you get off the bus when you get home because you've seen God at work. You've seen, you've seen amazing things. You've made God big promises. And I'm telling you, as soon as you step off that bus, sometimes even when you get on the bus to come home, temptation begins to creep in and so part of us dealing with that tension is to anticipate it don't be shocked by it don't be like man i didn't see it coming be on guard anticipate it there's a second way for us to deal with the tension and that's number two to be alert to the trap of it there's a trap that comes with temptation there's something that temptation is trying to do God doesn't tempt us. God tests us to strengthen our faith, but the enemy tempts us to try to get us to walk back on God. And the trap of temptation is, is this, to begin to believe I could do it better on my own without God. That's the trap. Now, ordinarily, we wouldn't say that out loud. Nobody gets up in the morning and when Facebook says, what are you up to today? Or whatever that question is, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna do better than God can do. Like, nobody does that. I've never met anybody that on the other side of temptation that they gave into said, no, my way was better. But what temptation makes us think, whatever it may be, and again, there's a lot of different temptations. There's no way I could describe them all. But what happens in the moment of temptation, the trap is maybe I could do it my own way. Relationally, man, I want to be connected and I, and I want to feel one with somebody. I, I want to be, and temptation is, well, well, God hasn't answered my question prayer for a mate or God hasn't answered the prayer for that connection. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to meet my need myself without God. So I, I, I'm not walking away from God. I'm not, I'm not denouncing my faith, but I've got this need. So I'm going to try to meet my need myself without his help. Amen. That's the trap. It's a trap. Sometimes it's with money. God, we've been praying for this thing. God, wouldn't it be great for us to have a better house? Wouldn't it be great for us to have this car or, you know, whatever that thing is. And, and, and yet we don't have the money. We don't have the budget. God doesn't seem to be coming through. And then at just the right time, somebody's offering us an incredible deal. It's like, well, I would be dumb not to take that. That's a trap. Listen to what happens for Joseph. It says in verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete responsibility over everything that he owned. So he's being promoted. Verse uh, Seven goes on to say this. Well, actually, right before verse seven, it says, now Joseph, this is a funny verse in scripture. When we have a new Sugar Hill Church shirt, this isn't gonna be on the shirt. <laughs> Joseph, do you see this? Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. Sort of like Barrett down here. Barrett ends up in pictures every single week. I don't know how. It's like, he's well, right? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But here's what happens. Verse 7, And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully and said, Come and sleep with me. 
I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we put Bible people on some other pedestal. We're like, well, he's a Bible person. Of course he wouldn't sleep with her. Hello, he's a normal dude serving in an environment he didn't vote on. My guess is Potiphar's wife is pretty attractive because Potiphar, being one of the leaders of Egypt, probably had his pick of who he wanted to marry. And so this is a real temptation. This isn't just a Bible story. This is real. And what happens in the trap is there's something that happens. Temptation always starts as a thought first. Every temptation is a sentence in our head. It starts as a thought. The thought itself is neutral. The thought itself isn't a sin yet, but here's what happens. And we've got a slide for this that'll show you how it progresses. It starts as a thought. And if we think about it, if we don't shut it down, it leads to our imagination. We begin to think about it. We begin to sit with it. It it begins to stir up in our minds. And then over time, we begin to justify it. We could shut it down at any moment, but if we don't shut it down, it starts with a thought. We begin to, to imagine that thought playing out. Then we get to the point of justification, which ultimately, if we haven't shut it down, leads to our choice. And so let me give you a dumb example of the whole burrito thing, all right? So the whole burrito thing is, well, I've been eating clean for a while. We had a crazy travel week. We were at camp, and then I flew from camp to northwest Arkansas. Laura's, uh, Laura's grandmother passed away last month at 93. Think about that, 93. Pretty amazing. But uh, flew to be with family and to be part of the funeral. Came back yesterday, and so I was tired and had been in all these places and seen God work. And so in my mind, it was like, uh, well, actually, I dropped off a package at the UPS store, and I heard somebody talking about this Mexican restaurant. Imagine that. And then, as I kept thinking about it, I was like, well, it's been a while since I've had a cheat day when it comes to eating, so I pulled it up on Yelp. Everybody on Yelp says, this is the place to go. And then in my mind, I start thinking about, well, if I'm going to have a cheat day, what would I get? Well, I'd get the 10-pound burrito. Oh, they have street corn? I better try the street corn. I don't want to get the small one because if it's really good, I'm going to want more, so I'll get the grande. Well, if I'm going to have a cheat meal, I might as well have some, a pint of Jenny's ice cream. I mean, the ooey-gooey butter cake, whatever that stuff is. Well, if I'm going to have that, I need to have just the taste of the Oreos as well. And then when I finish the meal, I end up at Sonic. And then I wake up this morning thinking, holy cow, what did I do? My heart is beating slower. If you're like, he's talking slower than usual. That's why. That's why. But take whatever the temptation is. I mean, for Joseph, it's a sexual temptation. So let's play that out for a second. Uh, Sexual temptation comes to every single person that has a beating heart. And it starts as a thought, hey, somebody shows you attention. Somebody shows you affection. And in your mind, you're like, hey, that's kind of cool. But if you don't shut it down there, then it leads to your imagination. Your imagination is, well, they're showing me affection that somebody else isn't showing me. They're showing me attention. It's not a big deal. I mean, so what if it's a little flirtation? It's not a big deal. And then over time, you begin to justify it. Well, I I deserve to feel connected to somebody. I deserve for somebody to compliment me. I deserve it. It's my body. It's my right. It's my deal. It's my right. And then over time, you end up making a choice. 
The trap of temptation is to make you to think you could get away with it without negative consequences. The devil will entice you into it. What he doesn't tell you is on the other side of it, he goes from uh, trying to get you to accept it to then accusing you and say, now that you've blown it, there's no way God could use you. It's a trap. And in all my years of doing ministry, man, I've, I've, I've heard some heartbreaking stories. I've never heard the positive side of giving in to temptation. I've never met somebody that said, you know what? Once I started flirting with my coworker, man, my prayer life got better. <laughs> I've never heard anybody that said, hey, once I started looking at stuff I shouldn't online, man, scripture memory just became easy for me. But what I have heard people say is I wish I'd never gone that way. I wish I could take it back. So let's anticipate the timing, it's gonna come. Let's be alert to the trap, it looks good but it's not good. Number three, we need to be aware of what I call the tinsel of temptation. So every week I, when, when I teach, I try to make it, put handles on it, so this week's message is brought to you by the letter T as I try to make it memorable. But you know what tinsel is, right? The shiny, glittery, stuff that you put on a tree. What's fascinating is that it was originally made from a lead product. So in 1972, they actually had to come to agreement to say it's probably not good to hang lead from a Christmas tree that your kids are going to put their hands all over. And that's similar to temptations. Man, it looks good. If it didn't look good, it wouldn't be a temptation, would it? It promises something. If it didn't promise something, it wouldn't be a real temptation. We need to be aware of the tinsel of temptation. It says in verse 10, she kept putting pressure on him day after day after day. Verse 12, one, or, well, verse 11, one day, however, no one else was around. Why weren't they around? Probably because she orchestrated it that way. She wasn't used to being told no. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she came, verse 12, and grabbed him by the cloak. Think about it. This is a real temptation. Grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. And you know, you probably know how the story goes. She's not used to rejection. She's not used to this. And so she falsely accuses him. She starts yelling out, he tried to rape me, tried to rape me. When her husband Potiphar got home, she falsely accused him. That, that Egyptian slave that you brought into our house, I can't believe you brought him to try to sleep with me. And yet in that moment, Joseph kept his ground. I am not going to go to that place. Why? Because sin always has consequences. Can we be forgiven of sins? Absolutely. Man, please hear me say that. God is a God of grace. Can we be forgiven? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean our consequences go away. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be residual damage from that. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be some things that we have to deal with as part of our story. Can we be forgiven? Absolutely. But man, there's stuff connected to that. Which leads us to this last way to deal with the tension. Number four, to actively turn it down. To actively turn it down. It's a way of saying you can get back in the driver's seat. Sometimes when we have the thought, we act like we don't have any choice in it. 
Sometimes when we have the thought, we think, well, it's just happening to me. No, 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 no. When we give in to sin, it doesn't just happen. When somebody has a fear, it doesn't just happen in one moment. One second, I'm faithful. The next second, I'm in the bed. With that doesn't just happen. There's a path that leads up to that, right? I don't just happen at the burrito place. Sorry, y'all are going to be hungry now, aren't you? There's a, there's a pattern. There's a, there's a thought pattern that leads there. Whatever that thing is, there is power within all of us to say, I'm going to stop. Doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it's automatic, but you can't stop. Here's what it says in verse eight, but Joseph refused. He had a choice, he refused. Even if he felt the pressure, verse 10, she kept putting pressure on him, but again, he refused. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10 says, the temptation in your life, they're no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure it. You don't have to give in. You don't have to give in. And the principle that I'd love for you to walk with this week is that every single time we're tempted, it is an opportunity for us to choose to trust him. Every single time we're tempted, it is an opportunity for you and I to choose. God, in this moment, would you help me to trust you? Temptation's gonna come, but we don't have to quit. Are y'all with me? Can I pray for you guys this morning? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Even if you're watching online, I'd love for you to pray with us. And as I pray out loud, I would, I would invite you, not just today, but anytime we pray, would you pray in your head and your heart silently? And maybe just do, talk with God about what he's saying or what he's doing in your moment. Maybe for some of you, you're walking through temptation right now, and there's some things that have come to mind that you're, you're navigating. And I don't mean to make it sound easy. Please don't get that. And I don't mean to, to say that forgiveness isn't available. I don't mean to say those things at all. But I don't want to lose sight that he tells us that he gives us a way out. And so as you pray, maybe you just start the prayer by focusing on God. God, help me to see you. God, help me to see you. Help me to walk with you. God, help me to see you. Then as you pray, you'd say, God, would you help me to flee? Would you help me to run? In a similar way that Joseph ran, God, would you help me to run from that sin? that temptation he says in scripture to resist the devil and he will flee from you maybe you want to pray God would you help me to resist God would you help me to have endurance God would you help me to push back and God every time I'm tempted God would you help me to trust God would you help me to trust Maybe as we pray, there's some temptation that you've fallen prey to. Maybe you want to pray like David prayed in Psalm 51. God, would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? Would you renew a steadfast spirit in me? God, would you restore to me the joy of salvation? 
But maybe for some of you, you've never accepted the gift of Jesus. There's never been a moment that you've trusted him and accepted that. Maybe you want to tell him even now in your head and your heart, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I accept your free gift of salvation. I ask that you'd step out of heaven, step into my heart and save me. If that expresses the desire of your heart, I would encourage you, Jesus, to pray, Jesus, I accept your gift. Thank you for saving me. In just a moment, I'm gonna finish praying. As soon as we finish praying, we're gonna stand. And Zach and the team's just gonna lead us in this course and lead us in this part of the song that I think is so powerful. It's a reminder that yes, we serve a God that uh, takes sin seriously, but he loved us so much that even while we're sinners, he died on the cross for our sins. Some would call it a reckless love, that the idea of it being reckless isn't that it's haphazard, but from an earthly standpoint, we're like, really, you would love us that much? And he demonstrates his love for us, that he died on the cross for our sins. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Joseph. Thank you for the example that we do not have to merely go with the flow of temptation, but we can fight it. Help us to focus on you. Help us to flee from the temptation. Help us to fight the devil. Lord, we pray that every single time this week, we're tempted to shortcut your best, that you would help us to trust you. And in areas of our life that we've, we've messed up, in areas of our life that we've blown it, would you help us to know better from it and do better from it? Help us to be prepared. Lord, we want to discover your best. We want to live your best. We want to live walking with you. As Proverbs says, leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledging you in all our ways. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this out as we trust our Heavenly Father with this. Would you lift this up? Would you lift this up? Oh, the oven, never be so good. Let's sing this out this morning. Oh, it chases me, fight still. Hey!
He's so good. He's so good. Even in the midst of our struggle, he is so, so good. Today, as we leave this place, we leave knowing that when God's at work, the enemy takes notice. So sometimes when people wonder, man, I don't understand why there's friction in my family right now. I don't understand why there's drama going on in my company. The principle is anytime God's at work, the enemy puts a target on that. When God's not at work, he doesn't have to attack us. And we're not trying to live for God. We're already our own worst enemy. But the moment you and I say, God, I wanna live intentionally for you, he's gonna attack. And when he attacks, don't be surprised by it, but take guard. Let's take this truth from God's word and live it out. There's a prayer in number six, and we've been singing it over the last year or so, but I'd love to leave you with this. And number six, here's the blessing. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. This is my prayer for you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Heavenly Father, that's my prayer for my friends today. Lord, we pray that you would bless us and keep us and would you help us to live this day and this week in your perfect peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Love you guys. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Go grab some more Colombian empanadas, mariachi bands, and we can't wait to see what God does this week. Have a good one.